the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Football fans, welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. And this is another episode of what we call Joe Talk. That's me, Joe Serpico. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Serp. And on the other side of the mic, it's Joe Broback. Where you Man, can find we, have a, we have a lot of talking to do here today. Yeah, yes, yes, we do. Yes. You can follow Joe at Joe Broback, but as Joe just said right there, uh, this is going to be a jam-packed episode because a lot happened inside the American Athletic Conference this past week. Um, it got started early. It got started on a Thursday night game with uh, – some fireworks between Houston and Tulane, and that kind of carried over into uh, this week. We'll talk about that news. Um, I know Joe really, really wants to get into that. And then we're going to talk UCF's first loss in a couple years. A couple other things that happened last week, and then we will wrap it up with our previews of what's ahead next week. But let's get right to this news coming out of Houston. I mean, I Arguably the craziest week we have seen maybe in college football this year just because of all the implications that came based out of one game. And I know you were watching, Joe, but just the way that Tulane came back with those two plays to win that game, one being the fake Neal, picking up. I thought that was a genius play call, but then to actually see um, the touchdown come on the next play – with uh, McCluskey basically, uh, I mean, was he even hit, or did they all three, all three defenders hit each other? Um, well, so Gleason's Freewell went low and missed, and then Javarius Owens hit him at his hip and didn't wrap up. So he had at least one guy hit him, and then Demarion Williams was chasing him, but. It got it to the point where McCluskey's too fast and it got too close to the end zone, so he kind of gave up and didn't touch him. So he got hit once, but nah. just like kind of like the perfect storm to end the game for Houston. Um, you know, g- great, great win for Tulane. A, what a great game for them to end, a great play to finish the game. But if you're on Houston's sideline, you got to just you have to be dejected after that. Yeah, I mean, not just that. I mean, Tulane was down what twenty-one in this game, and managed to pull this epic comeback. And just the that way you finished the game was just like you said, it's a huge win for Tulane. It, it definitely puts them. I mean, we talked about it in private, but you know. It really, really opens up this race in the West. I mean, they, you know, they're already up a game on Houston there, obviously. But then with this latest news, uh, I guess we can just kind of get into it or add into it right away. Is the news now that uh, Dr. King is going to redshirt this season? And there was a lot of uh, speculation that, oh my God, he's going somewhere. There was tons of rumors that he was going to uh, Oklahoma or to Florida State, or I mean, just just about every school was mentioned uh, for a couple hours there. And then we find out, no, he's just redshirting to stay another year at Houston, which I think is very interesting. So, what are your thoughts on that decision? 
Well, it just goes to show you that you don't listen to dads who want their five seconds of fame when they tell ESPN that their son's leaving. That's for that's the first thing. But, I mean, Derek King obviously could still leave. I don't think anybody has any idea of if he's going to be with Houston next year or if he's going to go somewhere else. But until then, he's on the roster and he's hanging out. I don't... <sighs> There's so many things with this that we could, we probably should have just done an episode on this alone, but I think it's sparking a lot of conversation about how this redshirt rule is supposed to be used, which there is no purpose other than you play four if you play four games or less, you're allowed to redshirt. There's no like stipulation that you you have to be a freshman or a sophomore or you're injured like it can be four games and then that's it and we haven't seen besides maybe like kelly bryant last year that we haven't seen something like that where you play four games and then decide this isn't going how i want it to go so i'm gonna sit out for a year get a red shirt and then start over next year do you think that what daniel hogerson's doing here is starting a trend that we can see in college football well dana said from the beginning that he's not happy with how the roster was maintained by major applewhite staff and honestly fans agree with him if we're if we're being completely honest so it was almost like a little bit of foreshadowing i don't think that anybody thought and maybe dana didn't even think this either because i'm sure he didn't think going into the year that his team would be one and three through the first four games but I think once it came up and you realize, here's the thing. I don't know how Houston's season is going to end up. It's tough to see them winning eight games, but at the same time, like this, just because they lose, losing King hurts, but everywhere else they're the same pretty much. So I don't think he thought this is going to be an option a month into the season, but at the same time he said... He's been saying that he wants to do something. He wishes that he had King for another year. He wishes that they had more fifth-year seniors on the team to make the team older. And this is a perfect way to do that. And I think everyone's still speculating that there might be more guys that fit under under that category as well. So we still might see more guys who haven't played four games yet do the same thing. Yeah, but Keith Corbin is also... Uh taking a red shirt as well um to kind of piggyback off my last question for you and i kind of asked if you think it's going to be a trend do you see this being something that more g5 teams take take advantage of because in a case like this okay houston already knows basically there i mean there is no shot at getting into that new york new year six i always want to say new york new year's six game so they you know they know there's no Nothing really to play for. I mean, unless you want the conference, but let's be fair. You know, with UCF and Boise and even Houston a couple of years ago, they've kind of set the standard where you know you needed to be one loss so you can get that recognition. Obviously, they're not going to do that this year. So, why not keep King around for another year? And who's stopping to like more schools from doing that? I mean, look at perfect example, and I, I don't have the exactly in front of me, so I'm not sure if he is, but like. This weekend, Houston's playing uh, North Texas, and I'm not sure if 
Mason Fine has used his red shirt or not. But what's stopping North Texas from using it on him if they feel like next year they're going to be a better team? Right. Or I guess one uh, another thing, another one I thought he it's not it doesn't work for him. But like Blake Barnett from USF, like if he obviously he I, he's on year six I think. So I think I don't think he's got a, he'll get another year. He won't get another year. But like that, he their team's not doing well. And he hasn't played four games yet, so you almost think that it's... I feel like it has to be a specific situation. I don't think teams are just going to say, oh, well, you played in four games, and I, I don't know. I just feel like this was just a very unique situation, and with how the previous staff handled things, it just... I don't know. I don't. I don't see it as being like a big trend, because... If you look at, I don't know, look at, like, if you look at the big names, you look at, like, Alabama. Like, Tua hasn't taken a red shirt yet, but they're not going to, like, they're also winning every game, I guess. So, I don't know. You'd have to look at a specific situation. I don't, I can't think of a team off the top of my head that you would want to do that with. And you obviously have to have someone who's eligible to get a red shirt, but it, I don't know. Because, like, I don't know. Like Florida State, Cam Akers, they're running back. They're two and two right now, which isn't how they wanted to start probably, but like he could sit out. If he, I don't think he's gonna go pro after this year unless he, you know, he's gonna light things up. But you can make an argument that he'd sit out. So I feel like it has to be a very specific situation of a team that has high expectations and comes out flat. But then you know you have guys like. Joey Galloway and David Pollock, who said this is bad for the sport. It's like tanking, and I, I don't like honestly. Like, is Houston going to tank? No, they're not going to be at. They're not going to be a terrible team, but it's I don't know. Anyone who says it's selfish is just doesn't understand anything because it's all about what's best for you and your teammates who have been around you will understand why you make certain decisions, and if it's to better the team overall, then I'm all for that. Even if even if this year ends up being a six and six team, like we've seen through four games that Houston wasn't going to be anything elite. So why not look towards next year without you know getting rid of everybody that's a starter? Yeah, it it is tough to say because obviously there's kids on that roster that you know they're there to win as many games. As possible, so I, I don't want to say it's tanking either because I can totally understand what Dana's trying to do, and I understand what King is trying to do as well. And I don't know. We again talked about this off air. Do you think he is training to go back to play the receiver position, or is this just strictly to work on being a quarterback? Well, I think because I don't. Really... I think we both can agree he's not going to be a quarterback in the NFL. Unless something drastically changes, no, he will not be. And I think right now is another, uh, I guess, like uh, another element of this is how does Clayton Toon or if Logan Holgerson goes in, how do they play for the last eight games or nine games if they make a bowl game? How do they play? And if they do play well, then maybe you can have that conversation about putting Deer King at receiver but the thing is i don't know 
And granted, it's been a while since we've seen him just at receiver, but I don't know how effective, not effective, efficient he'll be when he has less touches. Because right now he's touching the ball every single play, and he has the ability to make those decisions of, I can throw it or I can keep it and I can run. So if you throw him to receiver, he has less touches, he has less impact on the game. So I don't know if that's the best thing. It wouldn't be the best thing for Houston unless Clayton Toon or Holgerson come out and they're a stud. I don't know. It's just King's passing hasn't looked good this year, so that's obviously the one thing everybody will go to, and I don't see an NFL future at quarterback with him, but then again, people said Lamar Jackson wasn't going to be a quarterback in the NFL. Touche. And he's looked pretty good in the first couple of weeks in the NFL. There's just so many, so much unknown right now. And honestly, I came into this podcast thinking, hey, we're just going to talk about UCF and what happens with them. And oh, no, we're going to talk about a lot of other things, too. Yeah, I mean, could you have, did you really think maybe a month ago, because I mean, we're four weeks in, so not usually that's my gauge, four weeks is about a month. So. Really, would you have ever imagined us talking about King? I mean, I would have seen a King injury more likely than him deciding to just, eh, I'm going to call it quits this year. Well, when Dana said that he wished that he had another year for with Derek King, at first I, my thought was, well, yeah, everybody would. But then immediately after, I'm like, does he mean something besides that? Like, is he trying to find a way to get him back? And... Obviously, we don't know a ton of the details, but maybe that's something they discussed at the beginning of the year or Dana at least had in mind with his coaching staff. I doubt he discussed it with Derek King to start the year, but once they went one and three, I think it was one of those, here's the deal, things aren't going well for either you or the team, so do we want to try to make a run next year? Because this year, obviously... They're learning a new scheme. They're trying to build a new culture with a new coaching staff. So instead of wasting your time through a season full of ups and downs and maybe finishing 6-6, six and six, why don't you get more familiar with the system and we can be better in 2020? Yeah, well, they're definitely all in on 2020, it sounds like. That's for sure. And they get a lot. It, the nice thing is they're getting a lot of their starters back in 2020 as well. They don't lose. And if they do lose a senior or two at a certain position, they have guys behind them that can fill in. And they're always good to get a couple transfers. You know that. Well, they just they got that five-star from Alabama. A linebacker, so yeah, Dana's already making noise with that, so we'll we'll see. Uh, so basically, to answer your question, no, there's no way besides like the only way I thought he, that Deer King would be coming back is if he got hurt again, and I didn't want that to happen. So this is like the best case scenario for him to come back. Yeah, just wild, a wild, wild week for Houston and their fans, yeah. to say the least. Just yep. You know who else had a bad week? UCF. I mean, you mentioned them for a hot second there, but I mean, blown out from the start. Never. I mean, they managed to make that comeback there. Don't get me wrong, but it was just it was 
never truly pretty. They were flat. And fought. Yeah, they, I mean, flat, yeah, for lack of a better word, yeah. I mean, just came out laying major dud, and it finally caught up to him. I don't think either one of us really expected Pitt to score 35 points. This was the only way they were going to win that game, though. Like, Pitt had to do something we didn't see coming, and that's exactly what they did. I do think it's a little bit interesting that Pitt, uh, well, I don't want to say it was Pitt themselves, but somebody at Pitt decided to come up with T-shirts in honor of beating UCF. Yeah. I think that says a little bit more about UCF than a lot of people are giving them credit for as well. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, when you, you know, there are only a select few teams that can continue making a run at a high level like UCF was doing. And eventually, for every single one of those teams, they're there's going to be a game or two where they struggle. And last year we saw the game against Memphis in the regular season. UCF was down at halftime, and they Memphis was taking it to them, and UCF rallied and came back. And Pitt did the same thing. They, they jumped out to an early lead, and then UCF came back and unfortunately just fell short. And it's I, – I tweeted this out is if people really didn't care – they won't be talking about it. So the fact that there's T-shirts made and people are making fun of UCF and all, everything, like you've gotten to the point of it's big news when you lose, and there's only a handful of teams that are in that category. So you're in a select category of teams that people want to talk about because you're relevant. And, yeah, it sucks that you lost and – it sucks that there's no more streak, but now you can start a new one, and there's there's way less pressure for you to keep winning games. There's nothing to worry about anymore. Yeah, I mean, now obviously their focus is, you know, they still got the conference championship to go after, which would be their third in a row. So, I mean, some people, I, I mean, I, I said earlier, Houston's obviously not capable of doing it. I even... Just with all the struggles they had this year, I didn't see them being able to do so. UCF still has that in their back pocket. Uh, they're still the champs until somebody dethrones them, basically. So, yeah, they're going to still keep fighting for that. And now, you know, that loss, sometimes that helps you. You know what I mean? So maybe moving forward, they're just going to really – I mean, you almost feel bad that UConn is the next team on deck. Like, they lose the week before they play UConn. I mean, seriously, like you said earlier, they might score 100 just because they're going to be out for blood. Yeah, it's – I feel – yeah, I agree. I feel bad for UConn. Not, you know, that I haven't felt bad for them in the last few years, but I feel bad that they have to do that and they have to follow that up. But, you know, that's just part of the schedule. They just have to deal with it. And it's, you know, the other thing with UCF losing is – Dylan Gabriel's a freshman, and all freshmen have a game or two where they look like a freshman. They look like they have no idea what they're doing, or they have a handful of plays where they look inexperienced and they're just lost. And there were a handful of plays on Saturday that we saw that from Dylan Gabriel, and that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. It's just that's part of the learning process. Yeah, you still got to be 
somewhat impressed with them being able to i mean they got back into it but you know ucf with the trick play to win it i've seen that play before i can't remember where yeah everybody i don't know why we make such a big deal out of it like it happened the first time it happened, I was like, okay, that was a pretty good play. And now everybody does it. It's like, did you see that play? I'm like, yeah, I've seen it a hundred times now. Is yep. it like, yeah, it's a good trick. And Pitt's version of it was awful. Like, Kenny Pickett didn't even get out. Like, he didn't get out into downfield until the reverse guy had the ball already for like two seconds. And then I thought that he was going to drop it. <laughs> It was it was bad. I mean, it worked, and that's you know sometimes you got to win ugly, but oh, that was just yeah, that was brutal. Brutal way for UCF to go down. Now we just got to see how long the next win streak is going to be. We'll see. Anything's possible now. I think if you're if you're a conference team and you see that, well, unless you're you know besides Memphis, I don't think anybody looked at UCF and thought. Yeah, we got a shot. And now that they've lost, maybe that image or the pedestal that they're on is a little bit lower, and teams think that they have a shot. And there's teams, you know, Memphis is undefeated still. SMU is on fire. Cincinnati and Temple will give them a run for their money. And I, you just never know now. And too late, well, too late. We just talked about them too. They, they could be a team that is ready to take down. I don't know who UCF plays all those teams, but I know they don't play Memphis, but teams are going to realize, hey, there's a way to beat this team now, and we can do it. So that makes things more interesting too. No arguments there. Let's talk about another upset. One for, for the good side of the conference, I guess I should say. And that being... I mean, and you did kind of call it last week, with that being SMU pulling off the upset over a ranked TCU team. Called I mean, it. you called it. it. I don't know what else to say other than you called it. I was one of those, I've, like, I can see. I mean, you and I have had a number of these picks where, like, I can see it happening, but I'm not confident at all that it's going to happen. Like, things have to go right for that to happen. And and they did, and it was. Now I'm concerned about SMU's defense, but that's another topic for another day. But the fact that it, even if you look at, if I told you that if I told you SMU and TCU are playing, and they you have to pick between this year's team for SMU and two years ago when they had they had Hicks, they had the trio of running backs, and then they had Cortland Sutton and Trey Quinn, and I asked you. Which team do you think has a better shot of winning against TCU? It would be you would be hard pressed to tell me that this year's team is better than that year's team, but I think that might also have something to do with where TCU's going too. But it was a great win, and it puts SMU in contention in the West, probably at the top now. It's like them and Tulane right now as the top, ever since Houston's going down. Well, don't forget Memphis. No. Don't, don't you be forgetting is, Memphis, buddy. Uh, yeah. If they whoop up on Navy, I'll yeah, I'll be impressed. SMU, by the way, 4-0 for the first time since 1984. Is that the Pony Express years? Or was that? It must be because 
after that they were booty. They didn't have a program for what a couple years. And that's and then true. They were trash. So probably. But good for them. It's about time they got it together. It's about time they make you look good. Yeah, exactly. Every now and then I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. And then we'll go real quick into that debacle that it was an absolute mess that is called Temple Football. I mean, thirty-eight roller coaster. It it's never ends with this team, right? Every single year, same questions. You know what's weird is that, and it's the new I coaching told- staff. So how is this the same questions? <laughs> right. Well, here's what you and I talked about when this happened. It was. So they, they beat a Maryland team last week. That That's a better Maryland team than last year. And Temple beat them last year. But this team's better, and they still beat them. And then they follow that up with a Buffalo team that they lost to last year. Which, granted, they had Buffalo had Tyree Jackson, Anthony Johnson, and uh, K.J. Osborne. So that offense was good. You know, they had something to work with. But this year... All three of those guys are gone, and they need to find three new weapons. And Temple still loses, so it's like you're going it's you're going even higher with the win against Maryland, and then you drop off even lower when you lose to Buffalo. And it wasn't like it was close for most of that game either. I know it was a blowout. It was an absolute blowout. I mean, Temple goes with a seven nothing lead, and then. Uh, Buffalo scores 31 unanswered. Russo looked god awful. I mean, other than 51, yeah, three three picks and and a lost fumble. Already, you know, he's already thrown more interceptions than anybody in the conference after doing that last year as well. Um, thing is, I don't know if there's really, you know, is there really a guy over his shoulder? I don't know if we're ready to talk that yet in Philadelphia, but at the same time. It's just crazy. Just it, it was all the turnovers and then another terrible day at special teams. I mean, that's really got to be cleaned up. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Rod Carey finally um, benched the snapper or replaced him, whatever whatever word you want to use there. Uh, they got another long snapper in after just, two weeks in a row with one went – for forty yard loss this past week and last week the one led to a safety, so huge issue there. I mean there really was nothing solid to hang your hat on. Like even like I said, all right, you look at the stat line, you see Russo threw three touchdowns, but yeah, I mean two of those came very late when Temple was already down thirty eight to ten. So it's like who cares at that point? Buffalo is just all I mean Buffalo celebrated most of the fourth quarter. Well, and last year, the big thing we talked about with Temple is what is this team? Who are they? And what is their identity? And <laughs> and here we are again. And we're just right back. Thing. It's deja vu all over again. I thought this team, especially even last week against Maryland, you know, you could still see some of that. They were trying to um, push things more. Maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why Russo is turning the ball over so much. Maybe he's trying to push it too much. But then again, you know, like I said, I mean, he turned the ball over quite a bit last year, too. So maybe it is just an issue where he, he turns that ball over a lot. 
but yeah, I mean, there's after that game last week, there is nothing to hang your hat on. Like literally, nothing positive could come out of that game this past week. Yeah, you go highest of highs, and then you come back and follow that up with lowest of lowest of lows. And the, I mean, you know, when you after that Maryland game, and then you're looking at the rest of the schedule. I mean, you look at UCF, and after what we did against them last year, you know, you're kind of thinking. All right, maybe we can give them a run at the East. I mean, after what you see against Buffalo, what makes you think that? You know, it's it's crazy how they could just do a complete 180 just like that in one week. Yep, insane. And not going to get any easier this week. Old friend is coming back to town. All right, we'll quickly dive through the other games that happened this week. UConn didn't stand a chance against Indiana. Tulsa with a nice little comeback win over Wyoming. And then ECU, 19-7 win over William & Mary. Your prediction about ECU is just getting worse and worse is. every it's, week. You know what? Sometimes you uh, you got some strikeouts, and other times you get some base hits and some home runs. So. Right now I'm striking out on ECU, but that's uh, all right. Yes, that's 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 uh what what's it called the platinum sombrero at this point. There you go. Five times. Everything levels out eventually. All right, let's get to this week's slate of games. Most of the games, I don't want to say most of the games. We got a lot of in conference games. We got a lot of interesting out of conference games as well. Um. Thursday night, I would have to look into this. Does the AAC have, like, every Thursday night to have a game now? At least it's kind of started that way to start the year. I Maybe I have to look I into that. Yes. At least it's looking like they have a, a thing with ESPN on Thursday nights. So I'd have to actually dig into that a little bit. But anyways, first game of the week is Navy traveling to Memphis. It's 8 o'clock on Thursday night. You can see the game on ESPN. Memphis, a 10.5 point favorite um i don't know navy i still don't know what to make of this team i still don't think they're as good as a lot of people think that they might be i still think that they haven't really played anybody and i need to see more from them before i really make any judgment on them now memphis on the other hand i've actually been kind of disappointed with what i've seen from them so far so maybe this is a game they could finally change my thinking of them, come out, put up the huge amount of points, and make my prediction from earlier in the year look a lot better. Yeah, we'll see. It didn't, I mean, it, it was a rainy game last year, so we'll see. I I don't know what to make of them either, because like you said, they, they beat two teams that aren't very good, as we're seeing. Going back to my prediction, it's going to keep biting me in the butt but that i don't know do you what do you, how do you think this game is gonna go okay so memphis according to vegas is a ten and a half point favorite i feel like memphis is gonna win by a lot because they know what happened last year they're yes. at home and I... they're just gonna route navy Memphis was on a bye this past week. Actually, both of these teams were on a bye, right? Oh, well, yeah, I guess that's part of the reason why they're playing on Thursday. Makes sense. Um, I Memphis ideally does want to blow this away. Is Didn't 
Navy go into Memphis. Was it last year or two years ago? And I actually beat them. Uh, I don't think they beat it. They beat them last year. It, it that was. Oh no, that's what it was. Then it was in yeah, Annapolis last year. He was at home and it was pouring rain and Brady Way looked atrocious. And yeah, it was just like, that. Honestly, like that. I think that loss really started the derailment for Memphis. And then they lost it. I mean, granted, they got back to the na- or to geez, national champ conference championship game, but they just didn't. That loss did a lot. That hurt them a lot last year. So I think they're going to be they have. Well, the both teams have two weeks to prepare, but Memphis knows what happened last year, and they're ready to prove that last year was a fluke, and that this year they're headed back for a third consecutive year. But yeah, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that two weeks of preparing for that option will help them just enough. So yeah, I would. I mean, Memphis by ten and a half. I don't know about that number though. I I'll take Memphis. I think Memphis is going to win outright. It's about, time. it's about time for them to blow a team out, so maybe it starts this week. Yeah. All right, then we get into the Saturday round of games, and the first one is Georgia Tech traveling to Philadelphia to take on the Temple House. Games are 3.30. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network. Temple is a nine-point favorite. I think that was kind of shocking to me when I first saw it. Especially after last week. Exactly. And the whole P5, G5 thing here, too. So kind of does shock me that Temple is such a big favorite here. But like I kind of said earlier, you know, a familiar face is going to be hit at Lincoln Financial Field, and that'll be Jeff Collins, who is now the head coach at Georgia Tech. If you did not remember, he was the coach for the Owls for the past couple seasons. And, yeah, they're going through a um, a pretty significant transition down there in Atlanta. He's trying to make the Yellow Jackets go from a triple option team to more of a pro style. So it's really, really hard to figure out what is going on down there right now just because there's so many what-ifs. They're playing two quarterbacks. I don't even, you know, when I was trying to figure out in the preview who's the main guy to focus on, I mean, one guy runs the ball better than the other one throws the ball significantly better. So, And as far as I know, they're using both. So it's kind of hard to figure out what to make of Georgia Tech so far. But I still think it's a little bit crazy that, Temple is a nine-point favorite. That just blows my mind. Well, two things. First, yes, I agree that after losing to Buffalo, you're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite against a Power 5 team. Yes, it's Georgia Tech. But given what happened, and it's Georgia Tech, that's insane. And two, I don't envy Jeff Collins' task because not only do you take over a program that, you know, needs a little bit of, you know, turnaround. But he also has to take a team that has guys prepared to play triple option and now put them into a spread or whatever they're running and run a completely different offense. Like, that's just another element I don't think people realize of how difficult that is. Well, that's going to take some time. I mean, defensively, you know, I mean, he's a defensive-minded coach, so he could implement a lot of those things right away. But, yeah, what they got to do on the offensive side of the ball, that's going to take some time. 
And I don't think you can discredit the fact that he's he went from Philadelphia, a major market, to Atlanta, another major market, and he the guy's been known to be a solid recruiter. So I think you know, and he should get better talent just because they're a P five program, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's still. I, I still I'm looking at that number nine, and it's still just crazy to me because, like you said, did you just come off that game against Buffalo? Um, you know, Georgia Tech, they're just so hard to gauge. I like I really don't know what to say about them. I know what I see from Temple, and it's not so promising. So yeah, that's that'll be an interesting game. I think of of all the games that are in the conference this week, that's the one that's the biggest. Like you don't know, because you literally what, don't know what Georgia even, Georgia well, Tech is or that. Temple. Boy, okay, yeah. Well, even just I think ju- if you just looked at how the last two weeks for Temple, like that's enough to just say I have no idea what's going to happen. But obviously, yeah, if you throw in Georgia Tech, mean what they are and what they're going through, that's another element. But the fact that Temple goes and beats Maryland and then loses to Buffalo, like we discussed, like that, I just, just yeah. One of those stay away from that stay away from that game. Nine and a half points feels like it's too much, but I'm not even gonna go near it. No way. Stay away from Temple uh, as far as you can right now. That's that's my suggestion for you. There you go. All right, another game inside the conference. Well, interconference game, I guess I should say, is SMU will go on the road to take on USF. That game is at four o'clock. It'll be on ESPNU. SMU is a seven and a half point favorite on the road. Vegas given SM. As, okay, actually, let me ask you this question: Is this more Vegas given SMU some love after a win over TCU, or is this really talking about USF is really really trash this year? I think SMU more than USF, but it's probably a combination of both. But it's. I mean, SMU just put up 41 on TCU, and their their offense looks unbeatable. How, how are you gonna How are you gonna stop that? Because you have you have a quarterback in Shane Bouchelle who's proving to be the missing link that they've needed the last couple years. Not that Ben Hicks was bad, but Shane Bouchelle's proving to be better than Hicks was in terms of consistency. And then you have Kimon Freeman and Xavier Jones, who are just two a two-headed monster right now and then they had another guy i can't remember his name now emerged two weeks ago so they have three guys again in the backfield they can use and then uh reggie robertson and james prochet like they're they're great weapons at receivers so uh, good luck to usf they have their hands full that's for sure yeah it's been a rough start this the year for usf and i think it's only gonna get worse this week there's not much going right down there in Tampa right now. Nope. All right, let's get into a matchup between two of the better teams in the G5 that are not. One's from the American, the other is not. Um, that being Cincinnati, they will travel to Marshall. Both teams are 2-1. and one. That game is at 5 o'clock on Saturday. The Bearcats are a 3.5-point favorite on the road, I think that's a little bit interesting there, just because Marshall, Marshall's 
has a pretty stingy defense of their own right and then a sneaky good offense too. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit interesting that Cincinnati is the favorite in this game. I mean, we've seen a lot of good things from Cincinnati when they've looked good, like in the game against Miami, Ohio, and then UCLA. But then, I mean, you can't take anything positive away from that Ohio State loss. No, not, not that we're going to take a ton of positives away from losing to Ohio State, but yeah, that was definitely worse than we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh and Marshall's not bad. They just played Boise State competitively too. So, yep, it is interesting that Cincinnati is favored on the road. But Phil, I mean, well, Cincinnati didn't play last week, did they? Uh, I think they had a bye last They're week. Off. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while since we've seen them play. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against a solid Marshall team, and if they. You know, they make a statement and they can win by double digits. That'd be interesting. But Cincinnati is the team that, you know, at the beginning of the year, we thought was going to be the team to challenge UCF. And the Ohio State loss obviously didn't look good. But given the other teams that are struggling and Temple's whatever Temple is, you know, Cincinnati is still that team in the East to challenge UCF. And it, you know, for those that don't know, UCF is up next for Cincinnati after this game. So hopefully this isn't the case where they're looking ahead because, I mean, at this point. Ford do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the game to win, obviously, right there. That's probably the biggest game of the year for maybe even both teams at this point. Because that could most likely determine who goes to represent the East. That's true. But all right, now, next game on the docket is the 6 o'clock game between ECU and Old Dominion. Old Dominion is a three-point favorite. If you want to watch it, it is on ESPN+. Plus. Um, these are two pretty bad teams, but I'm just going to say that right now there is absolutely nothing from ECU that I have been impressed with. I'm actually going to say I'm pretty disappointed with what we've seen from them so far um a lot of these games i didn't expect you know we didn't expect them to win when they were playing their power five opponents but we expected them to put up at least some sort of fight but what we have seen from them so far has been uh pretty dreadful wait did i say that did i say that wrong hold on is it no, Old Dominion is the favorite. My fault. Okay, yeah. I thought I read it wrong. Yeah. Well, Old Dominion was just giving uh, Virginia a run for their money. They love to play those Virginia schools, don't they? Uh, they do. And so that, that's probably why. If you can give Virginia a run for her money, there's no reason why you shouldn't be the favorite against ECU, who's not a very good team. Do they have a common opponent? Who was the ECU's? Hmm, let me do some research real quick. That, that was. I think they might have played last year then. Anyways, um, yeah, from what we've seen from ECU this year, just downright ugly. I mean, even just 19 points against William & Mary, who's not – I think William & Mary is a pretty solid FCS program, but at the same time, like, ECU, come on now. We expected a lot better from Mike Houston. Yeah, but maybe, you know, kind of like Houston – not Mike Houston, but Houston, you know, the – previous coaching staff just has things so 
disorganized and kids are not accustomed to playing a certain way and now they have to do that and I, I don't know I think there is something to be said that it doesn't matter how much talent you have if you're losing games and you're not playing well with your teammates then you know that takes a little while to rebuild and ECU might be going through that and Houston also might be going through that uh-huh. I think Houston's really going through that right now I think that's part of the reason why they want to keep King High yeah, it's almost like a waste of a year because you're trying to just, like, regroup everybody and, like, show them, hey, we like we move on from the past and this is how things are going to be now. But that doesn't just happen overnight, unfortunately. Yeah, moving forward on the whole four-game redshirt rule, I think that's going to really change college football. We're going to see a lot of teams do some funky stuff with that. Um. Let's bring it back to the conference and to a game. I said earlier that UCF's biggest game that might be next week against Cincinnati, but then I'm, I totally forgot that their biggest rivalry game is this week, and that is for the civil the civil conflict. <laughs> what a joke. For those that don't remember, that was UConn making up, making a trophy that UCF literally poo-pooed on. I'll never forget when they just dis- – when they just left that thing there. And UConn was like, oh, I guess we will take this back with us. Um, so, yeah, UCF takes on UConn. Like I said before, I almost feel bad for the Huskies just because UCF is angry after getting that first loss since November 2016. Even Vegas thinks they're going to be a little bit angry because it is a 43-and-a-half-point spread. Holy moly. Honestly, I wouldn't feel bad about taking the over. I don't know or what taking, that is. Excuse me, taking UCF at plus 43 and a half. Well, underdogs against the spread last week. I did take Ohio State at 39 and a half, and I think they won by like 70. Not even kidding. <laughs> so we might see something very similar in UCF's case this week. I think they're going to really, really, really put it to him. I could see this being a game where, no joke, UCF 73, UConn 13. I wouldn't argue against that. I mean, I just think that they're going to put up so many points. They're, they're just mad. They're going to be a mad team right now. I hope they, I hope they do. Because if they struggle, then it's like, okay, now we got to be concerned. And I don't want to talk about concern when I talk about UCF. I want to talk about... Holy crap, their offense is good. Did you see what they did this week? Especially against UConn. Exactly. That would be really concerning. And then the last game of the week in the conference, which heading into the season would would have maybe been considered one of the best G5 games of the season just because of the quarterbacks that were in the game, but one of those quarterbacks is no longer playing. And that is Houston taking on North Texas. That's at 8 o'clock. Um, North Texas on Facebook. I doesn't. I don't know actually because it doesn't give ESPN, me. ESPN. It doesn't give a. It doesn't give a. Yeah, it's not giving TV. me a. It's not giving me a TV. So maybe I know Facebook does have, or maybe it's Stadium and they don't have a thing for it. I'm not sure yet. You can watch that game somehow. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know how you're gonna watch it, but it's got to be. I'm pretty sure that game's available. 
pretty easily to be found. I, I was a little bit confused to see that there's nothing there for viewing purposes. Right. Like but anyways, ECU Old Dominion's on ESPN Plus, and this one just didn't have anything. So I was like, yeah. well, what? Yeah. How do you watch it. So maybe you're right. Maybe it is Facebook. Maybe it's Stadium or one of those things. I'm not 100 percent sure. But yeah, definitely a game that lost its luster a little bit. I mean, unless you're, I mean, if you're a Houston fan, I guess you kind of want to see what you're going to get from um, from Tune. But you know that all they're going to talk about this entire game is the whole King situation, and you know if you're North Texas and Mason Fine, this is your opportunity to kind of make a statement for yourselves as well because there is so much hype around Houston right now. I think Houston put themselves on national news in my eyes. Yeah. So I, and I think that, you know, you know, this is a, a, a spot where North Texas and especially Mason fine could really have a solid game and have a lot of people looking at that program. Cause he's good. You know, I don't think he gets enough talk. Yeah, he's he makes he makes great call. He sees things. He's like a coach on the field almost because he sees things. He sees play. Uh, you know, he sees blitzes coming before they're you know before the ball is snapped. He can make adjustments, and they're they're definitely gonna miss him when he's gone. But it, for now, they have a chance to beat a Houston team that is without their best player, but still is a, a decent talent, decently talented team. So. They're not gonna. They're not gonna feel bad for Houston, and just because Clayton Tunes running the show doesn't mean that Houston fans should give up on their team either. Yeah, that's why I think it's so interesting. There's such a huge uh, line flip in this game. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, Houston. If you're doing like a pecking order of schools in Texas, you know, Houston is still a class above. North Texas, like so, I, you know, North Texas really wants to get this win, but that also means something when it comes to recruiting as well. I mean, Houston should be the more talented team here, so like you said, that depth should be able to hold up just fine. Now, sometimes we make a big deal over changes at quarterback, especially, but you know, in the college level where it's really more about schematics, maybe maybe Dana's got something up his sleeve. Well. You have to think he has something up his sleeve at this point. Well, with why, this, why this not crazy start decision. off with a bang, like a trick play or something, just to you know shake things. Like at this point, who cares? You're one and three. You got not. You can't do much worse. Yeah, there's really nothing to lose at the end of this year at this point, right? Yeah, exactly. If you lose so. in North Texas, like who cares? You just lost to to Tulane on two of the most ridiculous plays of all time, like a trick play and then a a jump ball that you played poorly. Like you just you play loose, have some fun, and just whatever man play loose and somehow pull off an upset which probably shouldn't have been an upset going into this week but it is oh well according to vegas it would be if his cougs actually pull this one off we'll see i don't know i don't see it happening but if clayton tune has made improvements it help here's the thing it helps that not that king getting hurt is a good thing but Toon got to play in two of the bigger, well, I don't know if playing in the Army game counts for anybody, but, you know, playing against Memphis, that's that's a big game, and he just scored 31 points, and Toon actually looked pretty solid against Memphis last year, so it's not like the spotlight's going to be too big for him, it's just a matter of how he's developed, and if he's better in Dana Holgerson's, Holgerson's system versus the previous staff's. 
We've got what? Seven games to find out. Exactly. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a wild ride. It's gonna be a wild ride, especially down in Houston. It was crazy to see their fans just go nuts all day. I know people were freaking out. You included. Well, no, I was fine. I was like, you know what? That's it's it's crazy, but like if that's what he wants to do, I don't care. Like here's the thing: in the end, if you're if you're a player for a team that I follow or that I cheer for or both, if you decide, hey. I think what's best for me is to do X, Y, or Z. Great. Go do what you want. You don't have to like, I don't have to like your decision, but at the same time, I respect what you're doing because it's your life. And if you're going to let other people determine what you want to do with your life, then what's the point? Like, there's no point of doing that. So do whatever you need to do. If Dear King decides next year that he wants to go play somewhere else, then go ahead, go play somewhere else. Yeah, it sucks that... It's the last time we see him in a Houston uniform, but if that's what he wants to do, good good for him. Go do what it is best for you because in the end, those people that are telling you what you should and shouldn't do that aren't important to you, like they're not going to matter. They're not going to be there when you need them. And if they only support you because you play for the team, then they're like they really don't care about you. So it doesn't matter in the end. Go do what you want and you know, life will go on. Everybody will be just fine. All right, let's wrap this up with this because it just hit me. Now, we kind of presumed that D.R. King was going to be the player of the year in the conference. So real quick, who will be that guy now? Uh, you know, if Dylan Gabriel keeps going with – if he keeps producing the way he did, not last week but the week before – he has a chance. I don't think anybody else on the UCF offense has a shot just because there are so many options. I think if it ended, if you had to pick one today, I would go with Shane Bouchelle. That's my pick. He's made an he's he's made an impact on SMU's offense. They're 4-0 and they just beat a, t, a solid TCU team. So, I feel like his stats are good and he's winning, so you have to go with him. It just makes the most sense at this point. All right. Just took the words out of my mouth because that's the guy I was going with. There we go. Reading my mind. Green on things. It's been uh, a while. Yeah, reading my mind once again. There we go. All right, let's wrap another episode of the Underdog Podcast up. Again, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Underdog Dynasty. You can follow me at Joe Serp, Joe at Joe Broback. Until next week, thanks for listening to our Joe Talk. Mm-hmm.